Welcome to Turf Talk. I'm Katie Herzog, and joining me today while my assistant, Jesse Single, is locked to the door of the Academy Awards to protest Greta Gerwig's exclusion from the Oscars is not a sheep, not a wolf, but a goat and the goat, Helen Lewis. Helen, welcome to Blocked and Reported. Thank you very much for having me. You know, something really nice happened after I said on the uh, Christmas pod, you know, don't be a sheep or a, um, a wolf, be a goat, is that one of your listeners, the lovely Rebecca Hallwitt, made me a very cool uh, painting of what nice. it looks like to wow. be that goat, complete with a little goat, eat, like with little trash cans around it that it had eaten. <laughs> um, I mean, it genuinely, like Sarah Dightman was thinking of getting it as a tattoo. It was it was just really great. That is awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, it is such a, it's not, it's not something I had ever heard before because in America, we find the idea of like assigning ourselves spirit animals to be very offensive Uh. to the indigenous people. Um, But I think if I were going to have a spirit animal, a a goat is a great one to have. Yeah, exactly. They just, they've got very robust stomachs and you've got to appreciate that as I get older. (laughs) And they, (laughs) and they, they shit everywhere they walk. Uh, Helen, I'm so happy to have you here. I don't think it is any secret because I continue to tell him (laughs) that I've been leaking Jesse's address on the dark web, specifically Kiwi Farms, in the hopes that one of them will get his address and murder him so you can take over this show full time. But unfortunately, they don't seem to care about him that much over there. Mm, I know. Where's Keffels when you need her? What shop? Uh, seriously, Put the so, hours I, in. I think she's, <laughs> I think she's on your island somewhere eating poutine. Yeah, no, and I'm very sad about this. I, I, I would love to um, have done more of these, but I somehow I realistically, Jesse was like, I'm writing a book, and I was like, I too am writing a book, and he's like, Would you like Are to you? do? Jesus yeah. Christ! <laughs> <laughs> and like, somehow his book is obviously a reason not to do this show, but I, I was just right. sort of so desperate to do it that I've decided that my book um, can wait. So you're writing a book. You mm. also have a full time job uh-huh. at the Atlantic, and you also host a BBC podcast. Mm-hmm. How how do you do this? Uh, I don't have any friends or hobbies or any inner life, really. I think that would probably be how I fit it all in. Way to live. You know, I was thinking about writing a book in these three months just to prove to Jesse that you don't need to take uh, three months off of a podcast to write a book. Right. Also, if you wrote a blocked and reported branded book... That's just a ready-made audience. Like you could just genuinely do the twenty greatest internet beefs. God, I should do that. I should and do just that. Bang that one out, and also make sure that he does get that he gets zero cut of the income. Harsh, but fair. All right. So today we're going to be focusing mostly on some conflicts over in your homeland, Turf Island. Uh, there has been a split in the British gender critical movement. Surprise, surprise! Feminist infighting. Who would have thought? But first, uh, it's been a while since we talked, so let's catch up. Have you been listening to my podcast? I've been very much enjoying your podcast, the best <laughs> podcast, and you the one that you have solely co-hosted, co-hosted now with yourself for four years. Uh, Thank yeah, you. you should. Do, yeah, it's a shame you never made any kind of like merch where you pose together because you could have just airbrushed uh, Jesse out like yes. that Stalin picture. <laughs> like, no, I, I might do that now. Yeah, if we still had a merch store up and running, which we don't. Nobody buy merch. Uh, so. If you've been listening to the podcast, my podcast, only mine, um, you might have heard the interview with Andy Mills uh, that we had a couple weeks ago, and he brought up something that I want to, I've talked, I talked to Susie Weiss about this last week. I want to talk to you about it now. Andy was basically like, after Elon bought Twitter, after Elon broke Twitter, I think he said, Twitter no longer became a place where these giant pylons that we're all familiar with would happen and people would actually get fired from their jobs in some cases after these huge pylons. Andy was specifically talking about art industry media. And I wonder, what do you think about that? Since Elon took over, did he break Twitter to the point where it no longer has the capacity to cancel people? 
I think there's a sense in which Twitter for a while was the kind of water cooler for journalists and also the kind of yeah. news wire, right? If you had an the announcement. The poisoned water cooler. <laughs> yes, exactly. The water filled, filled with suspicious brown water that you <laughs> didn't really want to drink like it was Flint. But yeah, I think, um, <laughs> you know, I, th- I think that's part of it, definitely. I think the other part of it is that media organizations grew some balls. I mean, the biggest thing that happened at the New York Times is that there was a kind of, you know, big uprising in the glad open letter and they just went, that's your, you're like your opinion, man. And then nothing, yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they just didn't overreact to it. Uh, and then in fact, a couple of, you know, writers who, th- who thought that, you know, they really want to be much more vocal about Palestine were kind of told, well, sorry, that's not compatible with, with working here. So yeah. there was a sense, I think that yes, the kind of the, the water cooler aspect f- faded away. The thing that's happened in Britain, I think particularly the gender critical stuff, which is what I'm most familiar with, is also it just ran headlong into employment legislation. So we've had a, one of the consistent features of GC activism here has been a series of employment tribunals of people saying, you can't sack me for thinking there are only two sexes. That's ridiculous. That's discrimination. Um, and that's now, you know, a protected belief, essentially. Um, it's, the classification is it has to be a, a belief that is worthy of respect in a democratic society. Um, what, are, what would be some other examples of beliefs that are protected besides the wild belief that there are only two sexes? Well, yeah, some of the, um, the turfs find it quite <laughs> offensive in a way because this is also really intended for religious beliefs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you believe that, uh, you know, Jesus turned water into wine or Mohammed flew to heaven on a winged horse or whatever it is that Jews believe about something. I'm sure they've got some stuff (laughs) in the Torah that's pretty, pretty wild and out there. But, um, you know, that these aren't things you can kind of be, be sacked for. Obviously you can get sacked for the expression of those beliefs, right? If you think that anybody who doesn't believe your religion is a heathen and is going to hell and they should be beaten with sticks until they come to the one true way, that is, becomes a problem but you know you can't discriminate against people purely against a a normal range of beliefs so you know I think that really you know in in weird in civil society organizations like where there be do you have the scouts in America I guess you do you have eagle scouts they make lemonade don't they and stuff yeah organizations like that wait 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 wait. eagle scouts make lemonade that's my perception of American culture yeah (laughs) no eagle scouts save people girl scouts sell cookies boy scouts get raped by their scouts leaders (laughs) get it right Right, good. I'm glad we've started in the in the way that we intend to continue. Uh, I was thinking like this week's um, subject, what we're talking about was I, I kept nearly dropping spicy tweets about it, and I kept thinking, no, Helen, don't do this. You're going to get so much backlash for this. Save it for the podcast. The podcast is a yes. space where nothing ever gets you get ca- cancelled. You'll be fine. It's true. People do not hate listen to this podcast. I don't know. This is why. So people have requested transcripts. Substack has a feature that you can uh, like auto create these transcripts. And the only reason there are transcripts on any of our podcasts is if I have forgotten to turn that feature off because people don't hate listen to podcasts. They will hate read your transcript, find a little clip of it out of context and uh, and try to cancel you. But I'm not sure that Twitter has that power anymore. Well, the other thing is there was an equal and opposite reaction, which is now I think that I see far more pylons from people saying kind of 2016, 17 era mad pro-trans talking points. Um, and so it just doesn't have the same force. It used to all go in one direction. Now you can, now if anything, the kind of balance is tipped and Twitter is now full of yes. guys with, you know, Roman statue avatars and in Miles Chong being covered in ants and racism. Um, you know. Right. Or libs of TikTok 
saying something that gets a school 20 bomb threats in an hour. Yeah, and I think the Palestine issue coming up has been really instructive for the left in that it has reminded a lot of people on the left that there was a reason that traditionally that you got kind of quite zealously left-wing people interested in free speech issues because it tends to be, you know, historically left-wing speech has been marginalized and and repressed, particularly in America. You know, like, remember what happened to communism, for example. And I think there was a period where, you know, progressives felt they were on the winning side and they didn't care so much. They thought free speech was a kind of right-wing value. And now they've gone, oh, I would like to be able to say some quite, you know, spicy things about what I think Israel's doing in the Gaza Strip. Oh, I'd like to not get fired for that. Mm. Right. Yeah. And I think part of what's happened also is that a lot of the most prominent woke scolds have migrated to platforms like Mastodon, Threads, and specifically Blue Sky, where I mm. dip into Blue Sky every once in a while. But every time I do, I just I can feel my blood pressure raise. You, however, are an active user. Is that correct? No, I do exactly the same as you. I wonder. I, it's like walking into a party, except a party full of all of your enemies and yes. people with emotional problems. And you open the door and they all just go, ah! <laughs> Turn around Snitch and leave. jacketing. Yeah. And then you go, oh, oh thank, right, thank you very much. <laughs> I'm going to go I'm back gone. to my safe space. Yes. Mm. Well, tell me about Blue Sky. What's it like over there? So uh, I joined on the 10th, uh, like early July. And when I did my first tweet, I immediately became the most blocked person on Blue Sky. <laughs> yeah. Second was um, Congratulations. Bi- Becca Riley Cooper. And third was the uh. Babylon Bee that day. So <laughs> suck it, Babylon Bee. Some of us are proper hate figures. Um, and, you know, uh, people just... I know you say woke schools and it's really interesting because it was exactly that tone of voice. I went back and looked for some of the tweets and uh, uh, someone said, eat shit, Helen. Jesus. And that person was an associate professor at, right. uh, at Westchester University, which I thought what was your, quite a nice What was place. your introductory tweet? Did you did you announce your same saying like, hello, I'm Helen Lewis. I'm here and trans women are men. <laughs> exactly. It's like the, like my entree to my, my interview with Jordan Peterson where I went, what's that fuck with <laughs> What's the, the fucking suit? You look like a clown. <laughs> no, I didn't do that because I'm a nice person. I, I came in and I posted the gift from Succession, which was you are not serious people, which I just thought was a great gift. And obviously it was in some ways a commentary about some of the insanity I was already seeing. So they were right to notice I was being a little bit rude about them. But I got this one that was like, hi, Helen, you may want to know this is a really trans and queer friendly place. And given history and the fact we're getting away from GCs, far right and Christo fascist on the Musk site. <laughs> But um, I came to this conclusion that basically they were the kind of people who thought elongated muskrat was like a really funny thing to say. Right, right. You know, the bird sight. And it's like, oh, grow up. Right. Um, But almost immediately there was a great schism, which was that they uh, banned people from posting porn. Um, and people got very cross about that because uh, actually, you know, sex workers are the most oppressed among us. I need to be able to make money out of, yes. you know, um, hungry fappers. And then... <laughs> Just great. And then um, <laughs> they also allowed people to have uh, slurs in their usernames due to the fact they were you know, like a little startup site that right. just wasn't ready for this level of attention. Um, but I would like, can you can we do a dramatic reading on the peak blue sky uh, exchange about from the Vagina Museum? Can you be the Vagina Museum? <laughs> I would love to be the Vagina Museum. I've been waiting for someone to ask me that my entire life. <laughs> uh, we hope nobody needs to hear this today, but <laughs> bullhorn emoji vaginas do not have a bone bullhorn however clitorises do in most animals it's time to bone up on the i don't know this word bobellum also known as the clitoris but clitorises don't the have os- a clitoris the os clitoris okay. yeah is that so true though yeah. okay. do clitorises have a bone no the clitoris do not have a bone no wait hang on a minute <laughs> okay. sorry vaginas do not have a bone clitorises right, um right. 
it, like in hyenas, they are incredibly sure. um, long, yeah, right? I've and seen notorious. Them. Like, yeah. I've got a clitoris. I've got a hyena clitoris <laughs> bone in my closet now. <laughs> what? Okay, I don't, but I my dad does have a collection of raccoon penises. <laughs> the bones don't don't ask me why. I won't. Um, anyway, <laughs> and I will be Nico Mara Mackay, bat emoji, they slash AL. Uh, maybe you didn't see this, but we're doing a posting strike except for mutual aid and sex work until Blue Sky addresses its anti-blackness problem. <laughs> and I just thought that was just, that was it. I was like, this is not, right. nothing is ever going to be, um, ever going to, I'm going to top this. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of out. Uh, well, I, so uh, sorry, have you ever read um, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams? No, I only read uh, books with detectives in them. Uh, I was going to say it's Arthur Dent a detective, not really. But anyway, there's a planet basically where uh, called Golga Frinsham in which they create three arc ships, A, B, and C. And A is for people who are great thinkers, C is for people who are great doers, and then B is basically for all the people they want to get rid of. And they say to the people on Golga Frinsham arc ship B, uh, oh, you get on the ship first and get out into space so you're safe and we'll be right along behind you. <laughs> and... And obviously they go, okay, bye. Uh, and all the middle managers and leave. Anyway, I sort of feel like uh, Blue Sky is the Golga Frencham Arc Fleet Ship B of of, right. of Twitter. All the people that you just really like, the, just want to tell each other out, off about snitch jacketing and psyops and whatever, have just left. They've just flown away. It's their own little echo chamber. I mean, I I'm sort of miss them. I will say, I mean, most of these people had blocked me, so it's not like I saw a lot of them when they were on Twitter in the first place. But I don't think this has been very good for my job. You know, mm. I mean, this this podcast is built on Twitter bullshit. I cannot, I, it's not blue sky bullshit. Blue sky bullshit, it, like, if a, you know, if a tree falls in a blue sky, does it get anyone fired? The answer is no. Right. Sometimes I just need to see Michael Hobbs post a yes. headline from a publication he disagrees with, with simply the <laughs> caption, Lamau. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that 300 people can go, oh, good, good insight, Michael. Amazing insight, Michael. An, an article he for sure didn't read as well. Right. Exactly. He's commented on the seven words in the headline with Lamau, and that is a contribution <laughs> to the discourse. And I miss L- that. Lamau. Is that French? I, you know, I always, I didn't realize it was pronounced like that. <laughs> yeah. That's, I like to think of, he's a sophisticated guy. That's what yes. I'm, I'm thinking. Okay. Anything else you want to say about Blue Sky? You're our Blue Sky, our official Blue Sky correspondent now. Yeah, I, that's it. I, I highly recommend people go over there, dip their toe in the water and then, and then run screaming <laughs> from the water. Do you think that, that Twitter has gotten much more racist yeah. in the last yes yeah. okay yes yes i mean my for you feed or whatever it's now called is it just constantly trying to serve me like people saying you know we all know what's wrong with these people and basically it's right black shoplifting videos yeah. i mean i just feel like i'm being constantly force-fed race and iq you know um some cultures better than others we all know why the japanese are better like just constant like it's like sort of breitbart circa kind of 2014 is now the main thing and maybe, I know it's one of these things where you say that and people will be like well it's actually picking up on things in your algorithms I would just like to say that's not true I don't spend a lot of time watching shoplifting videos it's not responding to me <laughs> I also did not ask for Will Stansel to be fed to me every day for fucking breakfast lunch and dinner it's 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 race and IQ and then Will Stansel trying to debate the race and IQ guys and frankly not actually doing a very good job right and then I just get that nice guy talking about how men's trousers should be higher yes that's yeah. fine uh, men's wear guy yeah. yeah he's pretty good he's pretty good um okay so you speaking of cancellations you recently experienced one would you like to talk about it did i <laughs> yeah you did which, don't you remember this? which one you were gonna give a talk in one of those gay seaside towns 
That sounded like you were being really offensive, but it is literally Brighton, which is like the LGBTQ capital of Britain. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, Hannah Barnes, who wrote the brilliant book about the Tavistock, and I were due to talk to the Brighton skeptics. Very nice man called Kevin was organizing it. He then got um, pressure from the rest of the skeptics. So it turns out the one thing they don't like are people being skeptical of the evidence for child gender medicine um, and pressured him. He's, bless him, has now broken away. He's got his own thing called Bright Think. And we were hosted by a sister's salon. And actually, it was a bit of a preview of some of the stuff I'm going to talk about later because everyone who was there in the audience really loved it. And like, you know, five years ago, being able to hold an event about the Tavistock and talk about the evidence for child gender medicine would have been a huge achievement. Instead, what I got was a huge backlash afterwards for the fact that I asked a trans woman to speak about her experiences about going through the um, the gender, uh, you know, um, surgery in her case. Um, but the medical, and it was all like, you know, why are you having some pervert talk? Really, really grim stuff. Okay, so so the cancellation was not coming from the gender. Well, the ca- go ahead. Yeah, there was a literal cancellation from skeptics, right. but then there was a huge amount of backlash from people who don't think you should ever platform trans women uh, at all um, in in gender critical activism, which is not my position. And we'll get to this later. But um, I now am the omni cancelled. <laughs> everybody hates me, uh, and I'm okay with that. That is a good place to be. You're the goat. I am. I am. But that's the, that's where you kind of. But that's where you and Jesse have been all the way through this, right? Like lots of people started off a bit kind of skeptical about some of the progressive overreach, and then whoa, hang on a minute, why are you now on Alex Jones's show? Like what, right. what happened here? And then some yeah. people have just managed to kind of retain some sort of sense of proportion. What do you think? I mean, how do you think that you've avoided that level of internet poisoning? Uh, I think. No, everything I'm going to say is just going to make me sound like a wanker because it's basically like I don't, I'm not really a joiner in. I, and I think lots of people really yeah. are. And I think, I don't know. I just, I, I worked for quite a long time at a right wing newspaper at the start of my career. And that's during that point, I was pretty left wing. And then I worked for a left wing publication. And that during that point, I think I became more right wing. Uh, so, New Statesman's? Uh, yes, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> the New Statesman's. Um, yeah, so I worked at the Daily Mail and then the New Statesman. Um, and I think that's probably what, like, I've seen the worst excesses of both sides and actually the excesses that they both share. And that must be, to some extent, you've been around a lot of extremely progressive mm-hmm. people. You must have seen them up close, how annoying they can be, even though your fundamental principles are probably quite progressive. Yeah, I mean, I will say I have gotten more conservative in, in some ways. And a lot of that, I, I think, though, is not a product of the culture words. It's a product of aging. Because mm. I, it turns out I actually do have strong opinions about taxes now that I have to pay mm. them and I'm not getting a check back every every April. April. Um, so, and, and then other things like I, I have become more skeptical of activists entirely, mm. uh, any sort of activist. And this started after I wrote this piece in 2017 about detransitioners and the, the backlash after this. But I've become skeptical of activists and uh, basically all activists. I don't trust them because I've realized that if your identity gets wrapped up in a cause, it becomes really hard to evaluate that cause on its merits. And that's the reason I don't consider myself a feminist anymore, even though I haven't sort of changed my my values that way. And I think there's also something just sort of about my personality. Like my wife recently asked my mom what I was like as a child. And my mom said that as a child, I was a contrarian. <laughs> and and I, of course, I was like, no, I wasn't. What are you talking about? No, I wasn't. But I think she's probably right. She knows me pretty well. And I think that part of my personality, that anytime, and there are some downsides to this for sure, but anytime I see something becoming too, I don't know, 
too popular maybe mm. my first impulse is to uh is to run fleeing in the other direction yeah i guess that yeah that's a kind of a certain level of like hipsterism right you don't uh, and i think that's how i feel definitely about gc activism was that i think i did i put a shift in right at the beginning when it was very hard to talk about right and it, <laughs> yes. it, and it needed me because it was something that was obviously going to explode in one way or another and i thought if we can get some people who are talking about this in a fairly measured and rational way that would be a good thing and now it doesn't need me anymore right. there's lots of there's lots of groups so for me like what's the next thing what's the next thing which i can usefully use the things that i'm good at um to report on and i think that's you know and i, and I don't think i'm going to be writing a lot of whatever you want to call them anti-woke articles or which I, mean, you know but like things like like i wrote about the, the guggenheim and the kind of mm-hmm. social justice backlash there that was yeah. a response to a particular moment and it was quite hard to say those things about maybe not all accusations of racism are 100 copper bottom quite a difficult thing to say in 2020 2021 not so easy no not so hard now and so like what's the next kind of shibboleth that everybody right. is falling over themselves um to endorse that actually someone needs to be again this is my other thing apart from being a goat be the little kid in the emperor's new clothes going yeah. i can see the dick i can see it and it's tiny yeah um what's the book about can you tell us oh the book's about genius and about the mythology around ah. genius and um, how genius is, you know, an argument for like what things are culture values. So the deification of Elon Musk. Oh my God. That is one thing about Twitter that has really opened my eyes is I'm seeing like Elon Musk. I do not see why anybody thinks that he's a genius because he comes across as a fucking moron. <laughs> Same thing with Bill Ackman. These guys, these rich guys. Did you read the, the, the New York Magazine profile of him? I have not yet read that, but <laughs> I feel like I read a New York Magazine profile length tweet of his yeah. a while yes. ago. And that kind of, I thought, okay, I yes. kind of get what you're about, Bill Ackman, fine. There's this part in the profile where Bill Ackman says that he has this, he has this, there's a term for it. I'm forgetting the term, but. Uh, like d- some sort of determinism where your name determines what you do in life. So he ha- says like, you know, I nominative know- determinism. Yes. Yes. He says like, I know guys named hamburger who own McDonald's <laughs> franchises. Hang on a minute. And his name is Bill. So he made money or his name is Ackman and he sustained second <laughs> world war artillery fire. Yeah. What? <laughs> he said, he says that in his case, Ackman, like, activist man i think it's more like act like the cartoon kathy who was continually screaming act because she wanted chocolate 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 <laughs> anyway he just comes across as really really dumb in this profile that's phenomenal i bet that went down really well with the journalist like steve gullible twat <laughs> he he so ackman so the journalist who wrote this his name was is reeves weidman or something like that and ackman so there's this part where, where <laughs> where Ackman says to, to this guy who is interviewing him, uh, 90 minutes into the interview, what's your name? <laughs> and, and then he couldn't think of anything like his last name. He couldn't His name was with Wideman. And he didn't go like, and it's funny because no, you're quite right, fat. Fatty. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been an amazing thing to do. Yeah. He, mis- he misheard him as saying his name was Reed. And he was like, there, you're a writer. Your name is Reed. Oh, he, God. Uh, yeah. He just, and the guy is a billionaire. I mean, he comes across as an absolute fucking moron. And so that is one thing that I really appreciate about Twitter is that I am seeing that rich people they're not so different from us some of them are just as fucking stupid some of them do bad tweets and and i appreciate that but yeah but i think there is a particularly the idea of the kind of slightly autistic guy who can't really communicate socially and that is actually evidence that he's brilliant is a particularly modern trope of genius and the romantics much preferred some kind of guy with consumption who was writing sonnets (laughs) and and it's a way of kind of saying what you you know where the people feel that the culture is basically anyway 
can we talk about, before we get to the main thing of this episode, can we please talk about goblin porn? <laughs> you know what? Your co-host, if you insist. <laughs> I know, I've hijacked the wheel and I'm driving in the direction of <laughs> goblin porn, Bill. Um, so I'm really just going to gonna issue a trigger warning for your more sensitive <laughs> listeners. This is a story that does include Keffels, but I promise I'll keep it brief. <laughs> There is a um, streamer called Vouch who first came to my attention a couple of years ago when he tweeted of J.K. Rowling, uh, like, why does this bitch still keep talking about stuff? She could have shut up and enjoyed her millions. And I don't know if you remember, like 20 years ago, Christopher Hitchens had this thing about Republican politicians, but they started thundering about kind of sodomy. He was like, I set them my watch for when they're going to be found in a truck stop bathroom, noshing off some trucker. And I kind of feel like (laughs) guys... um, who do tweets about how like feminists just need to be kind and actually like use better words and stuff like that. Then I, I start my watch on the rundown for like, what's in the back catalog? What are we going to find? Let's see what's in the browser. Anyway, so he was doing a live stream and he pulled up a thing, a JPEG to save, and it went to a folder called To Be Sorted, which was full of his porn collection. <laughs> Smart. And this contained, because he's only on for like a second, but people obviously are on the internet. They have, you know, amazing enhancement powers. Yeah. Uh, both horse porn, which is very relevant to Jesse? this podcast, uh-huh. uh, and also what looked like lollicon porn, Lolita, anime porn of really young girls. Which I, I fucking only know about because we did an episode on it, of course. <laughs> right, yeah. No, that's good. And you, that's what you should tell the cops. Uh, keep, <laughs> keep the story straight. It's research. <laughs> and um, anyway, this has turned into like a huge streamer drama. And I'm going to see if I can play this clip and see if it works, because genuinely this may be my f- the, the best ever defense to someone saying, well, this is awfully close to, to child porn, Porsche. Are you absolutely sure that you that you, you definitely meant to, to watch this and you feel good about it. The other one um, is like a threesome with two chicks and a guy. And in retrospect, looking at it, knowing now that that artist is a lollicon, yeah, I can see it. When I looked at it, I think the vibe that I got was like short stack thick kind of thing. You know what I mean? Uh, like the way uh, like goblins get drawn in porn. You, you'll have to entertain me for a moment on this presumed shared knowledge of how goblins get drawn in pornography. But you know how they're all like thick short stacks, right? <laughs> Wait, I thought that a short stack was uh, was a small number of pancakes. Uh, apparently, I learned from people who were more versed in the ways of internet porn than I am, that it is now the acceptable PC term for uh, rhymes with fidget. <laughs> But yeah, who amongst us... Widget. You're talking about, about widget widgets. Porn. And who amongst us has not accidentally ended up thinking, well, obviously that's a, it's a short stack thick goblin. <laughs> not, not, not in fact a schoolgirl at all. I, I did see some of the some of the fallout from this. And this this somehow involves Keffel's ContraPoints, mm-hmm. uh, the one who just interviewed the pirate, the big one, what's his name? Hassan. Yeah, Hassan. Yeah, Ethan Klein. Ethan Klein. It's, this is just like the... Destiny. Destiny. It's like the series finale of streaming. Okay, before we go on, <laughs> I'm also going to make you um, watch the his uh, explanation of, what, <laughs> of the horse porn, which he takes a rather different approach to. Uh, and a, a defense I can only really sum up as saying, but I, everyone knows I'm into horse porn. I'm the horse porn guy. I'll make it clear. You can write this down. I want to fuck a woman as a horse. None of this is a secret. I just to be clear, you know, many jokes have been made about this, but I stand by it. My moral principles are rock solid. I'm, I'm my feet are firmly planted in the ground. I've got my boots up. They're planted firmly. You you cannot move me from my position. This isn't a secret. 
Uh, talk to a therapist. Well, why do you want to be the horse, Vosh? Because then I'd have a giant dick. Okay, couldn't you have an, a, a big dick the other way? Well, yeah, I could. Like, yeah, I could have a big dick hypothetically in any variety of scenarios. But then it wouldn't really be a horse dick. Well, you could be a human with a horse dick. Yes, but then I wouldn't have that powerful stallion energy using it. There you go. That's it. That's the whole thing. Something about the phrase powerful stallion <laughs> energy. <laughs> Just... You know, I hope this makes Jesse feel less alone. It's good, isn't it? Of everyone, he should be the most happy about this. But anyway, so the problem with the lolicon was that people say, well, this is a little awkward, Vash, since you've had many conversations about how you think that not all child-adult relationships are necessarily harmful uh, uh, and that you know maybe there's no moral outrage to, to consuming child abuse images if you don't pay for them um, and all of this kind of stuff. Anyway, so the people who leapt to his defence were so, oh, I, I, I can't even remember some of their names, but, but anyway, one of them was Caffles. Uh-huh. Um, who basically defend, jumped up to defend him to Ethan Klein. And then people sort of went, well, hang on a minute, what kind of person defends a nonce? Another nonce. Uh-huh. Um, which prompted Keffels to say that she had been, quote, pedo-jacketed. <laughs> Is that like pedo-pilled? What is pedo-jacketed? So that's when you like put an accusation on someone like a, like clothes. <laughs> so the original one was snitch-jacketed, which is like, <laughs> you've, you've said that I'm a snitch, but apparently Keffels had been pedo-jacketed. And obviously that was transphobic. Um, because it's associated because she is a trans woman that was associating her with kind of degeneracy. Of course. Um, and then she complained that Ethan Klein had got her phone number because once when she was suicidal, he had given her his number. And there was a, some way in which this was a, not a what it sounded like, which is kind of quite sweet and kind thing to do, but actually a sign of him being very evil. Um, uh, and that's the point at which I sort of did. Did he like get her number and like text her a picture of a news, or did he, was he trying to check? <laughs> right, that, I I more got the impression he was like, okay, well, this, I'm really sorry to hear that. If you really ever need to talk, but um, that was the point at which I I kind of I kind of tapped out. Really, I was like, you know what? There's far too many people involved in this. Almost all of them are dreadful. Uh, and I, yeah, I'm I'm gonna leave it there. Yeah, I saw I saw a little bit bit of this unrolling yesterday when uh, I saw Kevils. Quote tweet Natalie Wynn contrapoints. Uh, Natalie Wynn said, using bogus transphobia accusations to defend a cis man's public consumption of sexually, sexually explicit childlike images is unbelievably harmful and egregious. Keffel's quote tweeted this and says, I never defended anyone of consuming child pornography. You are a lying sack of shit and I have no patience for snakes like you. So this, of course, I was, this immediately piqued my interest and I thought, if only somebody had a podcast that would explain this fucking thing. Well, I did watch a very good podcast, which um, I'm sure we can put in the show notes that gave me a 20 minute rundown of who are all these people and why are they <laughs> fighting? And I appreciated that service as um, much as I normally appreciate blocked and reported. I, I'm, I, I genuinely <laughs> feel sad for Jesse. This is, I could not be more up his horse cock. <laughs> And he's not here to enjoy it. Thank you for that, Helen, I think. (laughs) Yeah, or not, actually. Maybe not. Okay, uh, let's take a a quick break, do some housekeeping, and then come back and do Turf Talk. Katie, have you ever thought about why your wireless bill is so expensive? It's all just radio waves, and how expensive could a single radio wave even be? I actually have thought about this, and I'm pretty sure it's because fuel prices for super yachts are really high, plus there's property taxes in the Hamptons, donations to political parties, paying off bribes, you got hookers, child support, Girl Scout cookies. Yeah, it's not like a... It's not like America is going to make itself great again. Stuff costs money. (laughs) But now, thanks to Mint Mobile, you do have a choice. Because right now, Mint Mobile has wireless plans starting at $15 a month. That's like three radio waves. (laughs) Unlimited talk and text plus data for $15 a month. All right, Jesse, I'm going to get real for you with you for a second. Wait, hold on. Wait, we're in an ad, but you're about to get real. Yeah, I'm about to get real. So. Oh, my God. 
I got a Mint, a Mint Mobile free trial because we're doing this advertisement. And okay. I and you hate I it. like it so much. I actually canceled my big wireless plan and Jana's. And we are now fully paying customers of Mint Mobile. And I'm not shitting you. I really did this. Oh, thank God. Okay. <laughs> that would have really, if you had not liked it, that would have been a horrible time to spring that on me. And it would, would have been really bad for the ad. But for anyone who, like you, hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless again, 15 bucks a month. Katie Herzog approved. I really, I actually really do like this. It is nice when the company that you're advertising actually provides a service that you like so much that you're willing to pay for it. This is the rare case when this happens. No offense to our other advertisers, but I really like this. Uh, that Houthi <laughs> ad, I felt so weird about reading. And the, and one, one question that I had and one concern that I had was, is the service going to be as good as the old big wireless service that I was paying almost $300 a month for? And the fact is, for me in my area... It is actually better. And this uh, ad copy informs me that all plans come with unlimited talk and text and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. It's also flexible. You can choose from three, six, or 12-month plans and say goodbye to a monthly phone bill. And you can keep your existing phone. So to get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash blocked. That's mintmobile.com slash blocked. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash blocked. Additional fees, taxes, and restrictions do apply, but go to Mint Mobile for details. Okay, so we are a podcast. People have been really, like, everybody seems very happy with the podcast now that Jesse is gone, except apparently I keep fucking up the housekeeping. We are a podcast. You can reach reach us at blocked and reported podcast at gmail.com. Uh, it's personal season. Did you know this, Helen? Are you going to... I know you're married, but are you looking for another member of the polycule? <laughs> Our house is very small. I don't know where I'd even put <laughs> a, a secondary boyfriend or girlfriend. Yes, that's right. We have personal ads for our Primo subscribers. Our Primo subscribers are the people who give us $5 a month or more. You can join us at blockedandreported.org to become a Primo. Uh, it's, a, I think, a great deal. You're a Primo, aren't you, Helen? I am a Primo. I've been a Primo since the start. And at no point have you annoyed me enough that I've stopped being a Primo, which is, <laughs> try harder. And you also uh, have a Reddit, which occasionally I drop into because it's really good for my ego because people are like, yes, oh, they do love sometimes you. Helen Lewis writes posts in here. And I'm like, yes, here I am, like a Vita on the balcony. Like, hey. If anybody wants to check out the subreddit, that is at, oh, fuck reddit.com forward slash r slash blocked and reported there's a there's a, a, a there's a quicker way to get to it blocked and reported dot red yeah blocked and reported reddit. dot reddit.com yeah, i think that's it yeah. uh, we also have merch please don't buy it the merch store is not going well <laughs> really not going well we've got we've made 44 dollars this year i don't know where the merch is going i don't know where the money's going just don't buy the merch and i think that's it join us at blockedreported.org. do you think i explained the personals good enough i think there's a whole maybe too much of you and Jesse doing the admin for the personals on episode. <laughs> so I think it's probably fine. All right. All right. Check out the Substack if you want to know more about the personals, if you're looking for love. All right, Helen, uh, should we get into it? Yeah, let's do it. Let's get me in trouble. Woo. <laughs> so our story begins with um, Debbie Hayton. So Debbie is one of a small number of gender critical trans women. Uh, when I first met her in 2017 she was at a, a women's place meeting that's a british gender critical group um she was wearing a t-shirt that said trans woman adult transsexual male <laughs> uh, and during that meeting she spoke from the floor and she got heckled by somebody from the balcony who shouted something like you know you're a bloke um, she was she like yeah i'm wearing it on the fucking shirt yeah i don't think this is a sort of surprise to her as i say she's pretty gender critical 
But fast forward to 2024, and Debbie's written this book called Transsexual Apostate. Um, and it's all about how she was essentially a late transitioner. She transitioned in middle age. And really specifically, it's about her autogynephilia or AGP. And as regular listeners will know, that is a pretty controversial diagnosis. It's a paraphilia. It's a, a sexual diagnosis that suggests that some male people get pleasure from the idea of being seen as female. Um, so typical AGP stories often feature young boys trying on their mum's underwear or secretly cross-dressing throughout their lives until it all becomes kind of too much and they want to present as a woman full time. It's like when, you're, when your goblin consumption gets <laughs> too much. And you- well, okay, but there is a kind of certain point about all of this and this is a bit of a digression, but I don't know if you've ever seen that famous meme, which I'm only going to recount in paraphrase because it's, <laughs> otherwise it gets me in too much trouble. But it's basically like until about the year 2000, people were like, I want to have sex with toasters. And everyone went, that's disgusting. Don't do that. And then we got the internet and people went, I want to have sex with a toaster. And then they suddenly logged on to like r slash toaster shaggers. And then they were like, hey, and now that, you know, they've singed their dick. Um, and there is a kind of interesting point about some of the fact that some people probably went through life unaware of some of the, you know, some of their mm-hmm. proclivities because they totally. just simply never encountered them. I mean, I think the same thing is true of, of frankly, female sexuality. And my opinion on female sexuality has shifted in part from talking to sexologists who have argued that, not all of them, but some of them argue that traditional conception of sexuality, you know, you're homosexual or you're, or you're heterosexual with s- some people in between, really doesn't apply to women the, or to, to females the way it does to males. And I've said this on the show before, but I know lots of people, including, I think, my wife, who probably if if she had lived in a if she had stayed in Alaska where everybody around her was heterosexual, I think she would have ended up with yeah. a man. And I think that's probably true of other things, too, in the sense that, you know, I don't have kids. And I often think right. if I'd grown up in 1900 and it just been the accepted thing that you got married and have kids, I'd probably have kids. I'd probably like the kids. Everything would have been fine. Like those options just weren't open to right. you. Um, and I think in terms of female sexuality, you're right. Like I think the sexological research does show that more women are kind of in the middle of the Kinsey style. They're not strongly, you know, there are more men who are strongly heterosexual, strongly homosexual, and they just kind of feel disgusted right. by the other end of it. And more women are kind of a bit, you know, loosey-goosey. Totally. And the women, the number of women I know who have come out as bi or gay late in life, there's a lot. And, and by late in life, I'm not talking about 70s, I mean, you know, 30s or 40s or whatever. The number of... <laughs> just you um, in the nursing um, home, like, going around, <laughs> chatting up all the old ladies. I have you ever tried this it? This is why... Not too late. <laughs> This is why I joined the senior center. And I know precisely one man who identified as gay for his entire young adulthood and, and until he was like 40, and he ended up with a woman. It was just, that's incredibly rare. Mm. But the number of women who, who, you know, go through a gay, whatever, it's just, <laughs> women are just horny in a different way. Yeah, I think that's very true because people always say, you know, male sexuality is so strong. And it's kind of, I think that's true in the sense that, you know, you don't get a lot of women soliciting other women in public bathrooms. No. But equally well, that kind of, Beatlemania, Harry Styles, kind of like wetting the seat with excitement over Robin Pattinson kind of level of, of, right. of horniness is very female and in its own way kind of completely driving and, and kind of like a roller coaster that you can't get off. So they just kind of... Like shipping the, yeah. the, the whole concept of this. Like I, I'm guessing it's, I'm guessing the fandom, uh, the fandoms where people spend time like shipping Taylor Swift and SZA are probably predominantly female. Right. And actually... And then writing, writing articles about it for the New York Times. Yeah. And actually lots and lots of those shipping communities are women doing gay relationship gay male relationships which is really interesting because it's kind of like what would a kind of horny relationship with no power differentials look like <laughs> yeah so uh, back to uh, autogynephilia so you know this was a kind of much more accepted 
diagnosis maybe in the 1990s. And if you read Galileo's middle finger, which has come up, Galileo's middle finger, uh, I don't reason I put Galileo's little finger in my notes, <laughs> which is a very bad Different joke. Different <laughs> Yeah, G- Galileo's middle finger is, is very good about the fact that, you know, there was a kind of concerted attempt, I think particularly having seen the success of the gay rights movement with Born This Way and Sexuality is Innate, to say, well, you know, people, we could try and get people to accept this slightly skeezy sounding sexual explanation, or we could get them to accept a, a born this way um, explanation. And that one's probably going to have a lot more political success. And, and uh, it was an entirely correct judgment to make. But that means that AGP is now an extremely controversial um, topic today. So as you might imagine, that makes Debbie really controversial. She's a teacher and a trade unionist, and she has um, faced calls to fire her from, from trans activists for years. But what's changed now is that she's begun to get a huge amount of grief. Well, maybe not changed, but what is notably ticked up is that she's begun to get a huge amount of grief from gender-critical activists. And that is probably a good time to remind people who um, Posey Parker is. And Katie, what do you know about, <laughs> about Posey Parker? Okay, so Posey Parker, she's not a feminist, correct? Mm-hmm. She's a femaleist. A femaleist. I'm not totally sure what that. What, no, what that, me neither. But yeah. okay. Um, so she's an activist, a campaigner, as they say over there uh, in, on Turf Island, and she's gone all over the world holding these rallies. Sometimes being attacked herself, uh, where she makes bold proclamations like women are women and there are only two sexes and things like that. And probably most virally, at least over here, there was a moment during the Leah Thomas, uh, what Leah Thomas, the pen swimmer who was on at some meet. And this clip went viral of some woman in, uh, in the audience. Posey Parker was having a, some sort of debate with her. And uh, she, <laughs> this woman said to her, uh, something like uh you're not you're you know you're not a biologist you're not a doctor or something like this yeah and then posey parker said i'm not a vet but i know what a dog is <laughs> exactly so she's very clever which is a very snappy yeah. comeback she has got a, a certain rhetorical force yes. and i uh, i won't deny that yeah her her real name is um kelly j keen sometimes she's kelly j keen minchel because that's her husband name and I went back and sort of kind of tried to find out the origin story because I think she's a really interesting character in the GC debate. And the first appearance I could find of her in the Times was uh, in the Let Toys Be Toys campaign, which was a very early 2010 um, feminist campaign. that was basically like, let little boys play with dolls, let little girls play with um, trucks. And it said, you know, at the time she said she was a full-time mother who was about to launch a clothing brand. Well, as it turns out, that was very much true. We'll come back to her merch being much more successful than yours later on. <laughs> Um, her husband's a global conference director. They live in Bristol with their daughter Mabel, four, and their sons Roman seven, Carter eight, and Artemis two. <laughs> okay, so so this thing where people give their kids ridiculous names, this is not just an American phenomenon. No, exactly. She could be on libs of TikTok being owned <laughs> yeah. about uh, about yeah. that. But um, you know, and she she was writing at the time about how they were filling their daughter's room with you know with different books about you know strong female characters. Really? And then her husband said, "Kelly opened my eyes to sexism. She's very open minded. The boys have dolls in pushchairs. We never say that." That's for girls. That's for boys. Interesting. So she used to be a member of the Labour Party, which is the left-wing party over here. Um, in 2013, notoriously, she tweeted saying, I don't understand prejudice against trans women by some rad femmes. That's radical feminists. It's really weird. 
And then you fast forward sort of 10 years and she is in a completely different place politically. Um, there was a clothing brand called John Lewis that had an advert with a boy in, or a male kid in you know, sparkly heels and makeup and all that kind of stuff. And she wrote a piece in The Spectator that said, he's of course a boy in a makeup and dress because even home insurance offers must now be propaganda exercise on the mutability of gender. The boy girl stares into the camera like he's on a catwalk, accompanied by the loud clip-clop of heels, the blue and pink paint, the consistent pouts and head swivels to camera, the boy dressing in his mother's clothes and the glitter scattered all over the dining table. This is about inclusion, which is a new euphemism for male entitlement. So what happened? How did she go from girls should play with whatever they want, trucks, boys should play with dolls, there should be an AGP doll? How did she go from that? (laughs) It was one of her greatest interventions, which is like, maybe we should have dolls that are adult men in fishnets. (laughs) Yes. Bold, I thought, but you know, let's go with it. Uh, yeah, I think it's really interesting that she. I think you know that she moved from this kind of you know kids are just kids to actually some you know some ideologies being forced onto our children in this really quite slow way. But I think probably what really crystallised it um, is that you know as you mentioned before, she's had really bad threats. Uh, somebody was only just jailed last week for making threats against her. Mm. Really nasty ones. Uh, I'm not going to deny that at all. But in 2018, she was contacted by police because Susie Green, the CEO of the youth gender charity Mermaids, had made a police complaint about her over some tweets in which um, Kelly J. Keene had said that Susie Green had, quotes, castrated her son. So Green took her child, who's now Jackie, to Thailand for sex reassignment surgery at 16 to get around the legal Jesus. limit being 18 in Britain. So she, um, she did castrate her son. But in Technically a, true. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not, I mean, it's a pretty harsh way of stating it, but it's not right. an untrue accusation. And, right. you know, I think you've talked about the, your relief about living in America and First Amendment protections, but this is a fairly clear example to me of the police being drafted in to deal with essentially someone saying something rude, mm-hmm. but not violent or you know um even you know i mean i presume that you know it was was kind of done as harassment really but somebody having strong opinions about the way you have lived your life and what you've done with your kids not really something that the the police should be expected to get involved with anyway after that happened a women's place which i mentioned is this more left-wing organization uh comes out of the labor party and the labor union movement put on a panel in cornwall that's a kind of rural area of um southwest england and Kelly J. Keene was going to be one of the speakers. And then they kind of found out about a load of tweets that she'd done uh, about Muslims in light of these kind of so-called grooming scandals. And um, why don't you why don't you read out? And you can do a British accent if you want, because uh, I always enjoy that. And because the police won't come to my house here. Right. All right. Uh, dear, dear. <laughs> They're going to I do Dick Van Dyke and do like, dear you guys, it seems we're at time you defend everyone except Muslims and trans women. All the rest of you expect taking on the chin. Don't give me one of them. <laughs> I'll skip that one. There are pockets in Bradford where culture is not British. We say the way men are socialized results in certain behavior, but not Muslim men and how they feel about white. I just turned Australian. Yeah, I was like, we, so we don't like the way Muslim girls. girls speak about white girls. I was like, Katie, that's that's somewhere else. A very, I know. No, they're all, they're all colonies. Anyway, uh, that was very distracting. But essentially, she, <laughs> you know, she made some fairly broad statements about. Uh, about Muslims. Uh, And as a result, Women's Place pulled out of the panel. It didn't happen. And I think that's probably the moment that uh, Posey Parker decided she was kind of an outcast, like an outlaw. Mm -hmm. You know, she's since formed her own organization. It was first standing for women and let women speak. And she runs a merch store with branded clothing saying stuff like female and turf. Um, I might need to hire her. She's the merch is a it's lot good. more expensive yeah. and, frankly, <laughs> creative than yours. I think you could learn a lot. Hey, I'm wearing one of our hoodies right now. It has a man with a diaper on. What could be more creative That's than that? That's disgusting. 
I, we'll send you, you know, if our merch store still existed, I would send you one. Oh, if only. Um, anyway, just last week, she launched her own political party, uh, which is called the Party of Women. Pow! And its emblem is a posy of flowers. You see what she's done there? Uh, so she plans uh, to stand against um, Keir Starmer, who's the leader of the Labour Party, probable next Prime Minister of Britain, in his constituency in North London. She thinks this is going to kind of unlock a load of publicity for her, basically. Um, there's no party that represents uh, women and, and she's going to be it. Oh, I'm sure she'll win. There's over half the off the population, right? Um, okay, so she brands herself as this renegade outlaw figure. Do you think this is cynical or is she a true believer? Honestly, I think it's a bit of both. And I think what's interesting is the split between her and Women's Place has kind of become ground zero for what has become essentially the, the division or two slightly overlapping divisions in the gender critical movement here in Britain. So probably the best shorthand, really in political terms, is that there are kind of left-wing feminists, you know, you're kind of Julie Bindle types mm-hmm. for regular listeners. And then there's the kind of single issue populists who, you know, might not be politically left-wing and might not be embedded in the feminist movement. So someone like Helen Joyce, I think is more like that, you know, wants to speak to a kind of broad coalition of people, isn't attached to the idea of being left-wing at all. Um, and that overlaps with another division, which has emerged, which is between the so-called ultras and the GC light. Uh, and the pronouns have really kind of become the, the flashpoint for that. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, here in the U.S., I would argue that the principal feminist issue of the day is abortion access. Not not there, but here. But abortion is in many ways a much more important issue than trans stuff, I think. It's just my opinion, but I think it is. But you do see women who would otherwise vote for Democrats who are so incensed with the party over this issue that they are voting for a party that wants to make abortion illegal in all circumstances in some cases. And I I find that interesting and also, I mean, frankly, sort of bizarre. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think even for the women who hasn't changed their vote, it has certainly caused lots of them a kind of feeling of alienation from what they felt was their tribe. Uh, which, which I totally understand. I get that. But you're right. Like, I would definitely say abortion is a bigger issue than pronouns on the basis that actual people are dying. You know, actual people are having right. to bear their children, you know, the children, the rapists. Um, right. And that, you know, and language arguments kind of take second place to material ones, in my view. Controversial. I know, controversial yeah. for people on the internet. But yeah, the, but the, that exactly that polarization really matters in this story because the kind of question has always been when the left is so hostile to these argument, arguments, do you keep trying to fight? to get a hearing on the left or do you go and talk to the right Mm -hmm. and so women's place has always taken the view that you know they are a left-wing organization they don't want to talk to the kind of matt walsh's of the world um the kind of christian fundamentalists or the uh, political right-wingers you know on the basis those people other goals are restricting abortion rights and they just don't really like gender nonconformity at all but posey parker has taken a very different view so she said you know tommy robinson who's a far-right provocateur she said you know his campaign against groomers succeeded where feminists failed She's been on the podcast of a UKIP candidate and a Manosphere influencer called uh, Carl Benjamin, also known as Saga of a Cad. In 2019, she went on the podcast of this particularly unsavory white nationalist YouTuber called Jean-Francois Gareppi, oh, who's called for a white ethnostate in Canada. Uh, and like, incidentally, that his that guy, last summer his partner disappeared and has still not been found. And his explanation was that she likes to go off grid sometimes. Okay, so... I know his ex-wife, not the one who disappeared, but he was a like a postdoc or something like that at Duke. And I know a woman he was married to who is so woke. She is at her, she is to her core an SJW. In fact, when, when we were in college at the same time in Asheville and she founded a trans rights organization in Asheville, 
<laughs> so he's maybe been on a political journey too yeah. in, the, in the course of the 2010s. She would not have, have married. She would not have been with this guy and had a child with him uh, if, if, if she had known that this is what he was or if this is what he was at the time. That's so interesting. I mean, I do think that the last decade has caused just really big swings. And, and I think sometimes people who are really extreme one way they move to being extreme another way, don't they? You know, I think once you've yeah, you know, oh, yeah. fallen for one massive cult, then you might you, you probably can, like leave the cult and join yeah. another cult quite often. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know James Lindsay is a really good example of this. Someone who started out, I thought, being uh, being reasonable. I think Andy No falls into this category as well. People who people who I think were so affected by being dogpiled and by getting so much hate and toxicity sent their way specifically from the left that they tur- they they curdled they turned into the exact thing that their critics said they were all along because like James Lindsay now is not the James Lindsay who uh you know did the Skokie squared hoax it, these are very different people or at least at least his his public presentation is very different. Oh no, totally. No, he used to be a big new atheist blogger. Yes. Um, yes. He instantantly got very annoyed because I was slightly rude about him in my piece about the National Conservative Conference and spent quite a long day on Twitter calling me a hag. I'm sure. Yes. Uh, which I didn't mind at all because it's James Lindsay and he's it's like kind of being savaged by like a you know like a lovely pug. <laughs> <laughs> With a sword. You know what I mean? I don't find him frightening. I just find him no. kind of... Yeah. 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 I, yeah, I just, um, I find the phenomenon really, really interesting and also um, annoying because like these are people who I defended and then years later I'm like, I shouldn't have done that because it turns out that they turned into the thing their critics said they were all along who, you know, years ago was saying, actually, no, like these, this guy is not a white nationalist and it turns out, not that James Lindsay is a white nationalist, I don't think he is, but there are examples. no. But I know what you mean. There is always a, I think it's one of the things when you are the subject of cancellation that um, is really difficult because you know you can sort of sense people backing away from you. Mm-hmm. And that's because they don't, they want to be careful that you're not going to, not something worse isn't going to come out, right? Right. Or right. that, or as you say, that the process of cancellation isn't going to turn you bonkers and you aren't mm-hmm. going to start doing mad tweets. And we've all seen people where the initial offense was way blown out of proportion and their punishment should never have been that bad. Of course. But later down the line, they have done things that were legitimately awful. And people go, well, how can you defend that? And you're like, well, I don't defend that. I defended the previous thing, which was, you know, they were unfairly judged for. Do you think that's what happened with Kelly Jean Keen? Well, I mean, I think that she just got herself into a place where she wanted to make her case everywhere and she was not too scrupulous about the people that, you know, and where she made that. Um, you know, her, her defense for going on Greppy's podcast was basically, you know, I don't do an FBI style background check. Do uh, you Google them? On people. I mean, I, I do. Yeah, exactly. I have managed to swerve being on some bad hombre <laughs> podcasts by, uh, by a light, a little light Googling beforehand. Um, but one of the things that she maybe is most known for in America, you know, remember I said at the start, there was a, a meeting I was at when someone shouted, you're a man at, um, Debbie Hayton. Yes. Well, that was, a. Uh, her fellow ultra, Julia Long. And in 2019, Julia Long and Posey Parker went to Washington, D.C., uh, where they had a meeting with the Heritage Foundation, which is a right-wing think tank. Um, and they burst into a meeting attended by Sarah McBride of the Human Rights Campaign. And you can kind of hear them calling Sarah McBride, who is a trans woman, he, and saying McBride doesn't, quotes, care about children. And just sort of hectoring Sarah McBride uh, in this way that, you know, they said, our cause is so important, we need to. Other people said, this was a private meeting. You just look a bit strange. Um, so it really did 
divide opinion on this side of the Atlantic. My friend Sarah Dighton at this point referred to Kelly J. Keene as a pound shop Marine Le Pen. <laughs> um, so, so that's a dollar store, a dollar for Donald Trump for our American listeners. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which was which then prompted another large facet of this, which was then it spun off into a debate about classism. <laughs> uh, because what's wrong with pound shops? You know, lots of people can only afford to shop at pound shops. Jack Monroe? You know, people just sort of pretended that they'd... For- <laughs> Yeah, not even a pound shop. That's a, the pen shop. And the melted soap pot shop. <laughs> um, and then at the time, you know, Rusa Watker of Women's Place quoted Andre Dworkin on right-wing women, about, you know, who align with men who don't share their interests. The phrase she used was domesticated zombies. And people took that as being a commentary on both Posey and stay-at-home mothers. Um, and so that's been woven into this mythology that she is a champion of the kind of hearty voke against these sort of professional, blue stocking, university educated, professional, managerial feminists, all of these words that kind of get thrown out. One, the one that gets thrown out most often is, um, is, is head girl. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she was banned from Twitter in 2018. Uh, as you say, her speaking tour attracted neo-Nazis and she was unfairly smeared over that, right? It was said that they were attending the rally. They hadn't, they'd gate crashed the rally. Uh, and you know, again, if you want, we can hear some audio, uh, which is of some, <laughs> of, of the kind of gives you an idea of the vibe of some of her events down under. No man has a vagina. The controversial British activist who claims to champion for women's rights has been touring Australia, causing major unrest. You are the Minister for Women in Education. So, you know, Kelly Jakin has been clear that these are open mic events. You know, anyone can kind of get up and speak. She doesn't have any control over that. I and mean, that's what the things that people really like about that. You know, they, they feel that maybe this, you know, discourse is being kind of being gatekept. It used to be gatekept on Twitter because there were certain phrases you couldn't use, you couldn't misgender, blah, blah, blah. Now maybe it's being gatekept by people who say you need to be polite. And so some people do really like this kind of street theatre kind of uh, vibe. And other people really, really hate it. In New Zealand, she was um, attacked by an intersex activist who poured tomato soup on her. Did they think she was a painting? <laughs> yeah, for once, not a just a poor person. Uh, and, you know, quite, quite amusingly, when life gives you soup, you know, you create a £12.50 soup themed tea towel for your merch store. She is a good marketer. Um, so yeah, she, she really doesn't get on invited onto broadcast TV in the UK, but she's still incredibly popular with Mumsnet. Are you familiar with Mumsnet? I, a little bit. I mean, I know that Mumsnet is a message board that according to some, I think UK and American trans activist is like the Kiwi farms of, <laughs> of England. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've got it open right now and, uh, the first post on the site is what childcare choices could be could you be eligible for take our quiz to find out um so it does not seem to be like turfs 10 best dishwashers for spotless crockery best uk city for families um picky eating and children decoded so it it does not at first glance it just seems like a a parenting website yeah they used to call it um prosecco stormfront Which was a joke. <laughs> again, again, put it on a t-shirt. But um, <laughs> yeah, essentially, yeah, it's 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 it has always been renowned as this quite middle-class parenting site that was kind of ask politicians what their favorite biscuit was. Uh, and there was a famous story about someone saying, "Am I being unreasonable, or uh, is it unusual that my husband keeps a penis beaker by the side of the bed into which he dips himself after what? sex?" <laughs> I guess the answer is, is no, you're yeah. no, the answer is no, you're not yeah. being unreasonable. Like to wash his dick or like 
yeah. what's going on here? Yeah, that seemed to be it. Okay. It seemed to, I mean, if Does he not have legs? Is it hard for him to get to the toilet? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, in that case, you think she would have led with that. <laughs> you know what? It's ableist. Every, any complaint about the penis beaker is ableist. Penis beakers are <laughs> ableist. Um, <laughs> anyway, so, so it has one, it now has two, it, and now has basically put all its GC content into one um, forum, feminist forum, because it was kind of spreading throughout the whole mini feminism section. And for a long time, you know, Mumsnet was one of the only places that you could really discuss uh, GC stuff, you know, particularly after all the um, gender critical subreddits got shut down and the kind of great purge. Some people ended up on over it, some people ended up, and they had huge pressure from advertisers to um, to just really crack down on all this stuff. And they bra- very bravely resisted at quite a you know, big financial cost to themselves. But I would say that the, the the journey of Mumsnet, the median Mumsnet poster, is a bit like the political evolution of Kelly J. Keene. And now, uh, you know, as GC views, like what I kind of think of milk toast, like my level of GC views, which is, you know, like respect people, but biology matters. That's become a kind of more sayable and middle of the road opinion. I think some of the people on Mumsnet now feel they want to distinguish themselves from that. They feel that's quite cowardly. Um, so the the phrase that's become used is this idea of hold the line, refuse to use preferred pronouns, you know, always say trans women are men, and prevent anyone with autogynephilia, so perhaps by extension any trans woman at all, from working in a school. So they really hate, therefore, that Debbie Hayton is a teacher. Uh, you know, they, they think that's parading a sexual fetish in front of children uh, and forcing them to deny reality. And some of the language is just overtly really cruel. And I know I'll get huge backlash for saying this, but there's something, the phrases will go like, you know, there should be no pet troons in the movement. Right, like it is just obviously dehumanizing, and fine if you if you've made a conscious decision to use dehumanizing language, but don't use it and then, you know, don't come yeah. the raw prawn to be uh, Australian, you know, like just just own it, right? You're being deliberately disrespectful to make a political point, uh, and and that's is just what you're doing. But I mean, I'm, yeah, the, the pronoun issue is is, is complicated, but I, I'm interested to know, how, like, what what is your general principles? Yeah, I mean. I think that, and I have long thought and said this, that I think this is a dumb hill to die on. Uh, I think that if you refuse to use people's preferred pronouns, you will get accused of being a bigot or even engaging in genocide if you refuse to call people what they want to be called. And so I think this just becomes a distraction from the much bigger and more important issues of policy. Uh, So I use people's preferred pronouns in public speech. I don't do it 100% of the time. Like if, you know, if, if, if I'm referring to somebody who is very clearly a biological female who goes by he, she, and they and wants you to alternate every sentence, I'm not going to play that game. I'm not going to call somebody fae fair unless I'm trying to make a, make a point about it. Neo pronouns I have a harder time with. But if somebody is making an attempt to pass, I typically will respect their pronouns. I do have some other exceptions, like I'm not going to refer to a a male rapist as she. I won't say that a, a male rapist, you know, that she raped someone with her penis. I'm not going to say that. And I do think that private speech is totally different. Call people whatever the fuck you want in the privacy of your own home or in conversation with your friends. And I don't think anybody should be compelled to use pronouns or banned from platforms for using them or penalized by the government, God forbid, for refusing to use preferred pronouns. But I personally choose to use them in the majority of cases. And it is very hard to be consistent on this. Like even people who are on principle, anti-preferred pronouns, that's their sense, oftentimes will use the preferred pronouns of people they like. So you will hear people who do not use preferred pronouns as a rule 
referring to Buck Angel as he, him, because they like Buck. I mean, Buck also passes. It's easy to call him he, him. And I think a lot of times it really does come down to passing. And that complicates things, right? Because it's like, why should the person who just so happens to pass be treated with a level of respect that the person who also has dysphoria but doesn't pass shouldn't be treated with that level of respect? But in general, my stance is basically like when I'm speaking about somebody in public, unless I have a compelling reason not to do it, I will use the pronouns that they want Unless those pronouns are fair, fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no one, no one's got time for, for that. But I think that's true. And it comes up in journalism, you know. I would never alter someone's quotes or even put square brackets around someone's quotes. If they used, you know, if they wanted to call their rapist she, I think that's a bit sure. strange. But it's their experience sure. and I would never, uh, you know, people can tell their experience in their own words. And as a journalist, you have to respect that. Um, I, I, I agree with you. I also draw the line at um, sex crimes because those are so, so male, Ninety percent plus male well and it, it obfuscates what happens also i think if you like there are there was a new york times wrote a piece a while ago i'm sure you remember this about a trans woman who murdered some people and i don't think that they and chopped them up in a bag and put them in a bag yeah. right yeah right right and you are it, like it's obfuscating the truth if you were referring to this person exclusively as she and you're not putting also this is a transgender male or a trans woman or whatever. Right. It's and it's it's anti-feminist because it's disguising the reality right. of, of male violence. Um that's another one of my kind of problems against it. But but generally, you know, it partly is about courtesy and also yes. I I agree with you. I also it's not the argument that I want to have. I want to have lots of other different arguments. And also I don't think it's impossible from a journalistic point of view to make very clear what that reality is without whilst also respecting people's you know, identities. When Kelly J. Keene was using the name Posey Parker, I would have happily referred to her in copy right. as Posey Parker. That's her preferred it's her preferred name. It's not her actual fucking government name. Right. And, you know, the blogger Scott Alexander, you know, I would refer to in copy right. and say, you know, you, who uses the name Scott Alexander to make it clear that that's, you know, that's the kind of nom de plume, nom de guerre. And that's kind of fine. And you can use she and her about someone while making clear that they are biologically male the phrase that's starting to creep mm -hmm. into copy in britain now which is fully intact <laughs> it sounds like moose <laughs> well i moose is fully intact and so are people who are being put in our prisons um yeah so you know you can you know you we, we're gonna kind of find ways through it but i think my general principle is generally i call people what they introduce themselves to me mm -hmm. as uh, unless I've got a really good reason not to. Yeah. Do um, you find a difference between public speech and private speech? Or do you think just for you, is there a distinction? Are you are you secretly she-hurring uh, your online enemies? I've always tried to stick to it on the basis that uh, not only you don't know whether or not people might leak, but also just that you kind mm -hmm. of, I mean, this is maybe an argument against them in the sense you want to kind of train yourself to to do it. Um, so that you don't accidentally misgender. I mean, there was a phrase, you know, there was a time I lived through where I did TV and radio appearances about this in which it would have been catastrophic for me to right. use the wrong pronoun. Right. And therefore you kind of don't want to slip. There is, I, like one person I, I do respect on this is Nina Paley. Nina, even when it comes to her podcast co-host, uh, Karina Cohn, Nina refuses to use preferred pronouns and she doesn't make exceptions for people that she likes. And I find that consistency respectable, that Nina is going to call Buck Angel she, her, even if even if Buck doesn't fucking look like a woman and, and would make any woman uncomfortable in a women's bathroom, at least it's consistent. Like, as you say, not everybody passes. Some people pass really incredibly well. I don't think there's that many people who'd know from looking at that the singer Kim Petras um, was a trans woman because she went on puberty blockers and transitioned straight through from there uh, and therefore has not gone through male puberty and it, you know looks very feminine. 
the the best argument kind of against this is a, a blog that's been kind of infamous for a while, which is called Pronouns of Rohypnol, which was on Mumsnet, was on Medium. It's now on the Fair Play for Women site. And it says, it, forcing our brains to ignore the evidence of our eyes, to ignore a real conflict between what we see and what we know to be true and what we're expected to say affects us. Uh, using preferred pronouns does the same. It alters your attention, your speed of processing, your automaticity. You may find it makes you anxious. And there is an exercise that they suggest doing, which I think whatever your stance on this is kind of worth doing, which is basically going through a news report and changing the pronouns. Um, So, you know, she filmed her neighbor's toddler in the bath without permission. Just sounds like a sort of weird neighbor. He filmed his neighbor's toddler Mm -hmm. in the bath without permission. Does make you instantly kind of go, oh. It's Welsh. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) She borrowed her wife's underwear. Sounds a bit like an unhygienic lesbian couple. Wait, 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 wait. wait, wait. Is the underwear clean? How is that unhygienic? Uh, <laughs> you can't wear someone else's underwear even if it's clean. Wait, would you you like wouldn't like sleep in your husband's boxers? Ew. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing out there in the Pacific Northwest? <laughs> oh my God, you can afford a washing machine, woman. <laughs> no, they're washed. I mean, putting on your wife's dirty underwear—that's disgusting. But cl- all right, whatever. It does sound like a lesbian <laughs> couple. Lie. I would not argue that it's an unhygienic lesbian couple, but it definitely sounds like a lesbian couple. What about socks? Okay. You sound, you sound like Vouch defending. It was merely perfectly normal goblin underwear. Uh, socks. He's got much I bigger. I call my wife short stack. <laughs> He's got much bigger feet than me. That would just be weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, actually, when I was dressing with the podcast, I'm wearing a plaid shirt. And actually, I have, I'm also wearing his fleece. So I did think I was coming in yes, like classic lesbian uniform. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, that brings us back to Debbie Hayton. So when her book came out, she was interviewed by Janice Turner, who I've known for a long time in the Times. And the bulk of that was was Debbie talking about autogynophilia, which is something I don't think you would even get now in the New York Times or even the, you know, no. uh, CNN or no, MSNBC. No, Glad would fire up that truck. <laughs> yeah, you know, 4,000 signatures this time. Someone needs to write a piece about Glad's climate footprint. <laughs> yes, finally, we can set them against each other, the climate activists and Glad. Yeah, Greta Thunberg comes out and starts protesting um, that. Anyway, so I just don't remember that, you know, that being tackled at length before. And it is kind of a measure of how far we've come that it wasn't the reaction from GCs wasn't like, oh my God, you've kind of, you know, the dam has burst. This is incredible. You've got this talked about, but being really angry about the way that that story was presented. So first of all, there was these shoe truthers and the accompanying photos. Debbie's wife was wearing heels that were too big for her. And there became a whole conspiracy theory about how this was because Debbie had forced her wife to wear these um, too big shoes as kind of coercive control. Uh, <laughs> classic, classic <laughs> male behavior. Make your wife wear. T- it's like it's the opposite of foot binding. Very common. <laughs> Just huge feet trying to stretch your feet. Um, but you know, uh, for anybody who knows journalism, won't be surprised to know that if you do a magazine shoot, the stylist turns up with a load of clothes in your size to wear, and sometimes they get the sizes slightly wrong. And that's what had happened here. And then there was a whole discourse about how terribly downtrodden uh, Debbie's wife was. How she was a quote unquote trans widow. You know, there are people who've been married to you know narcissistic autogynophilic men who've who've had a really rough time of it but that's not everybody's story and it's not Stephanie's story you know she kind of got so annoyed with this um victim narrative that was being projected onto her that she wrote a piece for herself saying you know our marriage has had ups and downs pretty big thing to go through but most marriages have got some downsides to them and actually we've ended up in this acceptable uh compromise I mean that's that's one thing that annoys me about some feminist activists and this isn't isn't exclusive to feminist at all but this is something i see frequently is this is putting upon people deciding for other people 
that they should be victimized. Like you see this mm. in talks about sex work, and I think you can make very compelling arguments that sex work should be illegal and is damaging in all circumstances. But if if you have people saying, no, I enjoy this work, I do not feel exploited. Same thing with, with surrogacy. And you have all of these feminists saying, no, actually you are being exploited. And to me, it just, it seems very patronizing mm, i think in, in it's this marxist idea of false consciousness you know the idea that yeah. people just need to be yeah. awakened and i think a more humanistic way of saying is that people maybe rationalize the situations that they're in uh, and some people genuinely just have very different outlooks on life to the one you do mm-hmm. and i think you've definitely with sex work you know particularly at the lower end street sex works really appalling you know very few redeeming features sure to be an extremely high cost to be an extremely highly paid escort yeah to be a huge risks (laughs) but you know in terms of your safety but also a lot more money than you could earn doing a lot of other things so when people are in the moment of doing it they might be thinking this is amazing i can buy loads of stuff that i want rather than i wonder if you know one day some john is going to turn out to beat me to death um and you know, uh, you know, uh, there are lots of situations like, like the gig economy is another one. You know, uh, while I think it's really tough for people who work for companies like Uber because the rules sort of change and you get penalised, and mm-hmm. the, you know, there is a great deal of insecurity. You will talk to people who work in those professions who say, actually, I couldn't hold down a nine to five with the responsibilities that I have, and actually being able to accept this work as and when I want to take it is actually that does actually work for me. Right. But um, anyway, so there's lots of discussion about how Debbie shouldn't be, you know, quote unquote, parading his fetish in front of kids even though what debbie sue is to wear in the classroom is kind of like jeans and sweaters not not the huge fake bazookas <laughs> yeah of the rogue metalwork teacher right so this was the people probably remember this but this was this teacher in in canada who had like I mean, prosthetic breasts that were so big i mean they look like they look like watermelons. Come now, they look like space hoppers. <laughs> okay, now, this is the sort of pronouns that I that I struggle with. Uh, I will just avoid using them. This person apparently, by the way, went back to school this past year, just like dressed like a man, and and shockingly looks like Tim Dillon. It's very strange. And we're absolutely sure it isn't Tim Dillon. No, no, we are not sure. Mm, let's start that rumor. <laughs> Um, anyway, so the controversial thing was that Janice used male pronouns for pre-transition Debbie, who was then David, and female ones for post-transition Debbie. And then after getting some pushback, Janice Turner tweeted, the issue of pronouns is becoming absolute on both sides. Stonewall demands even bearded rapists be called she. GC Ultras refused to call any trans woman she. I reject both positions. I never call male for sex offenders she, her, but I will be courteous to those who respect women. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it felt like everyone went bananas and I would like you to read the melange of drama that followed. Men dressing up and women... Oh, fuck, I was trying to do an accent there. It just totally failed. <laughs> don't, do, don't do a different accent, not British accent. Do like, I don't know, Swedish. Men dressing up in women's clothing, calling themselves women's names, aren't respecting us. They're wanking over how they perceive us as sex toys. I guess if D gets caught sex offending, his pronoun will change question mark uh another one oh get lost there's no both sides to reality hayden is a man and therefore he is a he it's simple as that another his the problem that's all caps the problem and you know this with wrong sex pronouns is once you accede to the lie toss your own integrity out the window give in to the first crossing of a fundamental boundary every other boundary is a sense to violate hashtag hold the line hashtag trans women are con men Right. And I just, this doesn't reflect my experience of reality at all. When my husband and I first got together, we had a lively argument about who got which side of the bed. And we both wanted the same side of the bed. And he won. And yet I would say that Patriarchy. <laughs> that has not led to uh, me being a completely downtrodden spouse who has had to kind of like, you know, 
pandered to his every whim ever since. You know, it's sometimes. Did you? You didn't hold the line. I did not hold the, the line, and now I have. Did you arm wrestle over it? No. Although I now I do so much lifting, I might actually have a chance of winning that. Yeah, I've seen the pics. You're looking very strong. <laughs> right. Very small. Yeah, my lat pull down is now extremely strong, and maybe this will be my chance to win. But yeah, apart from, did you ever read that mad article about the couple that alternate sides of the bed every night? I did. Yes. Perverts. Yes. Don't agree. Yeah. With that. <laughs> That's worse. I will than hold that line. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so um, Posey Parker weighed in saying, there's no respect given to women by men who cover our language and identity. Seems utterly preposterous that you still don't get this. Don't gaslight women to thinking it's disrespectful to use female, to refuse to use female language for abusive, perverted men. And there's, so Debbie Hayden identifies, self-identifies as an autogonophile, AGP. Mm-hmm. There have been no allegations nope. of abuse. No, okay. no, absolutely so, but, none. But for some people, AGP is inherently abusive. Right, and it kind of ironically vindicates uh you know andrea james and uh, lynn conway mm-hmm. and all of the activists in um galileo's middle finger who decided that it was you know they should really pretend that agp wasn't a thing exist. and yeah. totally you know disappear it from history because it turns out yeah as soon as you start talking about that then people just go you're a pervert well i mean i think this is one of the you know this issue came up we talked about it on the show before this issue came up at a gen spec conference when like i mm-hmm. feel illy were addressed to this conference, and Phil is also a self-identified AGP. And it seems to me that what Phil and Debbie are doing is a real service because they are demystifying. It's at no small cost to themselves. They are demystifying uh, this sexual predilection, which I think we actually should have more information about. Right. I mean, and I will also say that would it surprise me if there are higher higher than average uh, levels of narcissism among people who identify as AGP? No, it wouldn't surprise me. Right, but if I meant like if I wasn't going to interact with anybody with higher than average levels of narcissism, I couldn't be friends with any journalists. <laughs> I couldn't look at the mirror. Yeah, right, exactly. If I couldn't be friends with any perverts, then you know I'd have to cull my friendship group quite severely. <laughs> the, the test is whether or not you do inappropriate things in public, and I clearly right. some people think just simply right. being a male person dressing as in female clothes is inappropriate. Right. And this just seems like such the antithesis of the the JK rolling tweet, mm. you know, wear whatever you want. Or Posey Parker from 15 years ago talking about how boys should be able to use or not use, play with dolls. Or even Mr. Posey Parker. So her husband Ryan's events mm. company, uh, Digilive, has it on its website. You know, at DigiLive, we aim to foster a diverse and inclusive culture in which people with all experiences, families and cultures will thrive. We recognise the struggle for quality in the global LGBTQA community plus community and celebrate their steps towards this goal over the last 50 years. So Mr. Oh, Percy wow. Parker is not holding the line. No, he is not. I, I would not want to be fighting with her over to the dinner table. Well, talking of that, in Worst People You Know Are Fighting News, uh, this episode has been tricky for He Who Shall Not Be Named rhymes with dinner. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> It's fine. No one, this is why you don't have the transcript. Uh, he's personal yeah. friends with Debbie. Uh, and so he's had to steer this really tricky course. So on the one hand, obviously he wants to side with the ultras who are attacking everybody who of uses course. preferred pronouns as, you know, head girls, established feminists, gentry GC, dinner party feminists. But on the other hand, he can hardly agree that his mate is a huge pervert who shouldn't be around, uh, you know, children. Oh, the conflict <laughs> here. Um, just because I know we're we you know we're running long, uh, I'll talk to two other people. So Helen Joyce, who previously said she didn't understand why left wing feminists were kind of warning her off, Posey has kind of come out and said, actually, you know, I respect people who take a different view on on pronouns. Um, and Kathleen Stock, who wrote Material Girls, you know, criticised the HRC stunt. Later, did a tweet saying that she'd really come around to Posey's activism. Uh, and actually, but then in this row, defended. Uh, 
Janice Turner. And and let's read the exchange because I think it's um I think it's really revealing. Okay, I'll be Kathleen Stock and I won't do her slight Scottish accent because that would be offensive. And you can be Posey <laughs> Parker. <laughs> Okay, so Kathleen says, Janice Turner is a brilliant journalist, not activist, there's a difference, who has been writing forthrightly about how trans activism negatively affects women and girls for longer than most of the anons now slating her for being a traitor even knew about it and taking the hits. Of course, you can disagree with her and she'd want you to, but at some point people really need to recognise the difference between enemies and friends. She, like you, was very late to the party. It's not respectful to surrender our language to AGPs, especially one who used children to satisfy his fetish. There's a sniff of do as you're told and be nice to these perverts and these new divisions. It's not going to work. FYI, many of the Anons have jobs they can't afford to lose. No, tri- no tribunal or speaking invitation awaits. Don't start on them. Many ha- of them have bought your book. Right. And I think this exchange really shows you the kind of persona that Kelly J. Keene has adopted, right? This is a woman who lives in a very nice house based on where her um, companies are registered to. She sells you know, branded merchandise. She's got enough money to go to Australia and New Zealand. She's got a husband who quacks on about diversity in the events business. She's got a kid named after followers of the Greek goddess of the hunt. <laughs> She's popular on very middle class mums net. Uh, you know, but she doesn't get airtime in the mainstream media. So it's all about, you know, she's a plain spoken housewife who doesn't have time for the niceties of these lily these kind of lily handed feminists. And, and when she says that that Hayden used children to satisfy his fetish, mm. is she saying that just because Debbie Hayden is a teacher? Yeah, right, exactly. Going any biologically male person or any person with autogynophilia who who is in front of children in female clothes is getting off on it. And you're like, that's a pretty big accusation. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, I, uh, Debbie Hayton doesn't seem to show any inclination to sue, but I think that's, given that, you know, I think that's a pretty, you know, you'd want some pretty strong evidence really beyond, I don't like the look of him, he's a wrong one, uh, in a British court, certainly for libel. Um, but this is this big division. So I think the one thing that she's done really cleverly is basically play on the kind of anonymous, people who are anonymous, basically, to say that they're the really, um, you know, they're the most principled ones. So if you're anonymous and you're not using preferred pronouns, then you are somehow kind of more hardline, more pure mm-hmm. than somebody who is a public but a public profile and is using preferred pronouns because they must be doing it because they're kind of careerist. God, this shit annoys me so bad. I, I, you and I were both accused of being careerist by he who shall not be named. Voldemort, his name is Voldemort. <laughs> and, and why can't it just be that this is how we actually feel? Yeah, but it's, I think a lot of people do that on the internet arguments all the time, right? They can't be bothered to argue with you. So they just, either you're being manipulated by a sinister right-wing conspiracy, right. or you're just desperate right. to keep in with X person. It can't just be that you simply think differently to the way that they do. <laughs> that would be crazy, crazy talk. Right. When, when you say things I agree with, then you're being honest and good. And when you say say things I disagree with, you're being a dishonest grifter. Yeah, it's also kind of mad, right, in the way that both you and I are in the situation where if we decided to go lean in and go full kind of Wesley Yang, then maybe that would have one, been one income source and we could have really done yeah. that. Actually, what we've tried to do is you know, immolated a lot of our credibility and ability to win kind of awards and approval in American liberal journalism uh, without also getting (laughs) the kind of rewards of being invited to weird Christian conferences alongside James Lindsay. I did get invited to a not weird Christian conference, but a conference recently where uh, Dave Rubin is going to be the keynote speaker. I declined. Yeah, I mean, I treat yourself to to not really. <laughs> but that's the thing. I think this. I think your basic sociopathy has kind of protected you. And uh, yeah, and the fact that I spent a lot of time around right wingers in the beginning of my career, so I've equally annoyed with them, has protected me. But you know, it, this is kind of really this is kind of metastasized throughout the whole of British um, gender critical activism, including it took in 
you know, it's and it wasn't, you know, it was at one point maybe left wing feminist versus the populist, but now it's really kind of spread. So there's a guy called Andrew Doyle who is, mm-hmm. you know, um, he has a speech on GB News, which is a very right wing channel. It's called Free Speech Nation, and it's full of people being cancelled. So it's, you know, it's from that political genre and he and had he Debbie the, on. and Andrew was the uh, uh Tatiana McGrath Titania McGrath yeah uh so one of the early kind of woke bashers yeah it, um, this was a, a parody Twitter account that was quite I, what happened to her did she get banned I think he then he killed her l- launched his actual career under his own yeah his own name so he's a, yeah he's a he's a gay man and he has this show on GB News and he had Debbie on and he used female pronouns in the introduction uh and that was a big backlash he got some homophobic abuse and he um he briefly left twitter and you know the interesting thing for me about that was that actually a lot of people i think would struggle to defend me because i'm a kind of you know left-wing head girl suddenly mm-hmm. we're like oh my god this purity policing it's gone it's gone too far yeah it, it really it's really interesting to me because so many people got into this battle in the first place because they felt like their opinions were being stifled, their speech was being policed. And now these ultra gender critical feminists are do some of whom aren't feminists are doing the exact same thing. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I saw a good um tweet by Dennis Kavanagh, who's a uh, I think involved with the LGB Alliance, but certainly a kind of gender critical activist and gay man, sort of saying, you know, I don't I didn't want one group of people telling me what pronouns to use and I don't really want the other group of people to. And I think he doesn't actually prefer pronouns, it is. But he also just thinks it's a personal choice. It's not actually that overwhelming a political act that you really need to enforce conformity on it. But look, you know, I think the ultimate lesson of this episode is that the British gender critical movement has achieved an enormous amount, more so than its American counterpart, which has always been dogged by the fact that this is such a Mm left-right issue in America. Um, And with self-ID junked by Labour as well as the Conservatives with these series of employment tribunals that have made it very hard to cancel conferences and fire people over their views. It looks like, you know, the kind of the immediate threat has receded a bit, basically. And that has allowed a group of people who were kind of stuck together for across the political spectrum to kind of see the differences between them. And there's also, I think, a bit of fight for who gets the credit mm-hmm. now, really. I mean, you know, I sort of sometimes feel like, where were you guys in 2014? Um, and, and that's a kind of an unworthy thought, but there is a kind of, everybody wants to get, you know, everyone feels they suffered through stuff and they've lost stuff and they want to be recognized for it. Yeah. I guess that does say something about the size of the movement, if it's big enough now so that it can crack up. Yeah. And and as you said right at the beginning, feminism has had lots of these splits. The suffragette movement Mm -hmm. in Britain was composed of women from across the political spectrum. You know, some of them went on to be communists, some of them went on to be fascists. Mm -hmm. Um, and they just had one cause, which was getting women the vote. And once they'd done that, it didn't really hold together as a political movement in any kind of meaningful way. Yeah. And your friend Sarah Didham a while back had this great tweet. I can't remember the exact phrasing, but she said something about how if your tent is just people who can define what a woman is, that's a really big tent. And like like Vladimir fucking Putin is going to be in that tent. (laughs) The Pope is in that tent too. Like, is this this really what you want to have a tent that is so big that it just encompasses the 99% of the population who can define what a woman is? Yeah, I think that's how I've I've come to it. So Sarah wrote a very good um, piece on her substack, which is called The Tox Report uh, on this exact issue. And and as somebody who'd really been through the mill. And, you know, I know other people... You know, Hadley Freeman, who lost her job, you know, um, for, at The, at the mm-hmm. Guardian over this and still sort of mostly uses preferred pronouns. It's not that this is just being said by people who've got absolutely no dog in the fight. Um, you know, people who've actually genuinely really been through the mill of the worst things that can kind of happen to you for, for talking about this, these issues still think, 
you know, have different opinions on it. Um, but, you know, I think that, that really what it comes down to me is that there is a kind of cult of personality around Kelly J. Keene, right? Mm-hmm. And and I don't say that entirely in a pejorative way because I find it very impressive and her political positioning as a kind of populist leader has undoubtedly been incredibly effective. But, you know, when people criticise me, there aren't hundreds of threads about how terrible this is. If you criticise her, there are hundreds of threads about how terrible this is. And so she's become a kind of emblem of something and she's very successfully turned herself into a kind of icon to a particular type of um, gender-critical activist. And I think it's okay to say, those aren't my people. They don't like me. Uh, I don't really like them. And I don't think there's any point in being gratuitously rude for the sake of it. And I will work with people strategically on issues. I'll interview people from a whole range of viewpoints because I'm a journalist. But I don't agree with them. That gulf is just unbridgeable. You know, she does sort of look like Marilyn Monroe now that I think about it. <laughs> That's. I think that's that's what she's going for. Yes, Katie. That's 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 not an accident. <laughs> it just occurred. Hang to me. on a minute. Um, yeah. I th- well, I'll tell I'll, I'll tell you off mic who I think she looks like. But <laughs> <laughs> all right, Helen. Before you go, I've got one more question for you. Has the landscape shifted uh, in the UK media? Well, I th- like Hadley. When did Hadley lose her job uh, uh, last year? Yeah, the year before. Yeah. Uh, I think there were. You know, I think. Um, the Guardian is our... And then before her, Suzanne Moore. Sorry. Yeah. So uh, both Hadley Freeman and Suzanne Moore ended up leaving The Guardian. And The Guardian is the closest we've got in political terms to The New York Times. So see it as a kind of analogue for that. Um, And, and, you know, both of them have ended up... uh, Suzanne Moore's at The Telegraph. Hadley is at The Sunday Times. You know, neither of them have been kind of drummed out of journalism or indeed had to take to Substack, which is the really sad thing I hear happens to people when they get (laughs) cancelled. So, you know, there has just been a bit of a... A bit of a realignment, but I think the Guardian is also in a more similar place than the New York Times, in that it has expanded its own tent of the, the the kind of views that it will allow in, and now publishes some slightly more skeptical pieces. Um, I think mainly it's it's probably in the same place as the New York Times is actually of just not really wanting to write about the story at all, thinking that it's as only yeah. downside in it. And you know what? I mean, you know. <laughs> There's lively debate among your listeners, I think, about how much you should cover this subject. I definitely think about how much I should cover this subject and, you know, not let myself kind of get wound up by it because it is one issue out of many, many, many important things in the world. I know. There's goblin porn. We could be talking about goblin porn. (laughs) Sometimes I just like to imagine myself as a horse. (laughs) Someone is abusing the lollies. (laughs) I I just love the bit of just... I can't imagine what series of life decisions leads you to the bit where like, I'm a notorious horse porn lover, right? You're just not going to get me on that. I'm not ashamed. Um, and, We're a sex positive yeah. podcast. I get it. <laughs> yeah. So I hope if anybody goes away from this episode, they will have a better understanding of British GC feminism and they will also know a couple of search terms <laughs> not to put into Pornhub. All right, Helen. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and we're going to see you again in uh, what, a couple weeks? Yes. I've got more things that will get me into trouble. I'm, yes. um, yeah. It's, it's all spice all the time. All right. Thanks, Helen. This has been Blocked and Reported. As always, we are produced with help from Tracing Woodgrains and Jessica, the 80s baby. I'm Katie Herzog and we will be back next week with a new guest host. Thank you.